Well, so I'm, I'm pleased to report that I can talk normally. I had a baby tooth pulled out today. You had a baby tooth? Yeah, my body's fucking weird, man. I'm, I'm just yeah, straight up missing, like, two normal teeth. Huh. They're nice and symmetrical. One I had removed over ten years ago. Um, it, you know, the first shattered was way back when I was living in London. It scared the crap out of me. It's like a tooth in my mouth. just like... Player 2 Pixelcast episode 104. I am your host, Tim Henderson, fresh in from the dentist and speaking very, very normally. I am very proud of myself. I have recovered from a general anesthetic. Um, that's not something to be proud of at all. Um, Rob, Rob, how can I spin this to make it sound like I was a very brave boy? Just surviving the dentist is generally how it's... Just generally, you survived. That that automatically makes it brave. Deep in into your thirties, it doesn't matter. You're still a brave boy. I mean, it was yeah. a baby tooth. Like I've established that I still have baby teeth. So brave boy is actually maybe appropriate. That sounds more than appropriate for me. <laughs> yeah, according to the dentist, it is very very rare. Um, but like super annoying because you know it's not covered by health insurance. They have it replaced properly, even though it's you know not my fault. Um, Ken, Ooh. you're also here, and you're also sick in ways that are not your fault. Yes, I am coming off the end of two weeks of COVID. So that has been not fun. Yeah, well, uh, heaven willing, this will, you will be back with the world by the time this episode actually lands. Yes, that, that is the hope that I can actually leave this house. I'm, I'm thankful that we've got a place in which we've got a bit of a yard so we can actually go outside. But yeah, um, We've been locked in here for days now. Yeah, Me and the other inmates are <laughs> ready to riot. <laughs> Describing children as inmates is just... Oh, oh no. I'm kind of down with that. A little bit twisted <laughs> part of my brain that is like, yeah, right. <laughs> Daddy orders, orders it all matching orange pajamas. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, that's that's one thing to look on AliExpress later when I when we finish the recording today. Is <laughs> that was that was matching. supposed to be a joke, not a sincere. <laughs> oh gosh! Although I would honestly find it kind of funny. It would be hilarious. If you like take the joke to its actual practical end. Um, but yeah. Anyway, um, I can't really turn prison. I, there's probably a prison segue there, and I'm just not finding it. But we're basically this episode we're going to be asking: Have roguelike slash timelet games? managed to become, like, more interesting as opposed to, like, these kind of just frustrating exercises of dying all the time that I found them to be at ten years or so again when I started becoming popular again. But before that come, um, games, and Ken's playing this thing which, if it came out in the 90s, would have a appropriate box art for the 90s, and I still don't know exactly what to make of it, but, you know, you're actually playing something you can, so I'm gonna let you go first. Yeah, this is... I've been playing Uncharted Waters Origin. Um, it just got released on Steam a few days ago. Um, as far as I can tell, this is like the Western release, and whereas this game has been released, I think, in Korea and maybe parts of Asia for yeah, the, a while um, now. The um, description in Steam starts by saying, commemorating 30 years of Uncharted Waters. So Yeah, so apparently it's an old, old series that came out... Uh, on the Super Nintendo, like in the nineties, and it's it's uh, it's like a tra- yeah. So it's a trading game. It's an exploration game. It's set in the Age of Sail, where you and a big old frigate 
or a brigantine or any type of ship with a mast and sails um, and you're exploring the new world or the old world, whatever it is, um, trading and pirating and privateering and that sort of thing. It's meant to be uh, fairly open. It's meant to be... Um, uh, yeah, fairly open. You explore and you unlock parts of the map, and you go from port to port exploring, and you know you you have quests to do, and that's sort of broad strokes what I think the entire series is like. I'm not entirely familiar. Uh, I don't think anyone expects it to be, man. No, well, because I tried this game. This popped up. Uh, this popped up on on Steam as as one of those Steam recommendations. I'm like, okay, you know, I kind I kind of do like that whole like um, the sort of the sci fi equivalent of these type of games where you've got a ship. Yeah, that's kind of become its own thing space. in the last few years, hasn't it? Yeah, like like X Four or um, the big one, um, Elite, Elite. What's the Elite Dangerous? Elite Dangerous, that sort of game where Rogue you Rogue Galaxy ship or something train. as well. And like, yeah, like, Rogue Galaxy. Uh, you know what I'm talking I about. That, <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> what you're talking about. And I think I think the uh, soon-to-be-released, never-to-be-released Star Citizen is, is something along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> Schrodinger's space combat game. I love it. <laughs> yeah. But it's that type of game where you take your ship and you've got a crew and, you know, you've got to find ways to survive and you're trading and you're, and you're exploring. And this game released on, um, on Steam a few days ago, just under a week, really went, I think it's on my first day of, of first or second day of my, of my COVID quarantine. I'm like, all right, free to play game. Can't go outside anyway. I can't go outside anywhere, and it looks exactly like the type of game where it is a time sink. It's a free-to-play game, like I said, and... I have to know simply, um, before, I, like, do you actually like this game? No. Because the review, <laughs> I'm looking at the reviews here, and it's 32% said anything positive about it. Ooh. It's... I think at its core, it tries to be something good, Right. Um, there are some very interesting things about it. Uh, you visit port to port. You go from different port to different port. Or, you know, as part of the, you know, it's set in the pseudo fantasy 16th, 17th, 18th century, where you know clothes were apparently extremely fancy and colorful. And you're trading spices and you're trading, you're trading food, rare foods and rare gems and that sort of thing. And there are some things that they do that's really interesting. Um, the map is completely closed. Your character represents a country. So my character, um, Yao Franco, is from Portugal. Um, and when at the start of the game, I can only see one port and as i travel from port to port more map more more parts of the map opens up you know there's a huge fog of war um and then as i'm exploring i actually don't know where i'm going i have to follow effectively follow the coast because i don't know which way uh i'm just going north i'm following the coast until i see another port and then it reviews itself to me and i go there and i start trading and you know i Keep following the coast because it's Portugal. Portugal just leads on this. Um, I think the next country is France. 
uh, my, 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 my geography of that region is terrible. So like you keep following the coast and you discover all these different cities. And then I, I cross the channel and then I discover, uh, Dover. I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. Um, I'm suddenly on the southern coast of the United Kingdom and I go, huh. you know, f- again, again, I follow a coast. I, I follow the English coast and I'm like, okay, now I'm suddenly at, in in London, like okay, that's interesting, and then I cross across this massive expanse of sea again, and suddenly I'm in France. You know, so that part is actually really interesting. To the map sort of re- reveals itself as you're exploring, but because it's kind of real worldy, you're kind of like, oh, I know this city, I know where Catalina is, or I know where Lisboa is, or I know where Dover is. Um, these names start to become a little bit familiar, and each port has its own sort of products or goods that they trade. And so, if you if you buy, say, um, rum from from England and you bring it all the way down to 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 Portugal, it's going to be worth a lot of money because that is they, wait, they don't... you're taking rum from England to Portugal? That just seems like a yeah. very strange. No, it's, I'm just using it as an example. Like, like there are different countries have, and different countries and different ports have their specialties. There's diamonds, gems, alcohol, different types of alcohol. So, like, you know, all, all, you know, all these different goods and goods and, and items that you can trade. So that's interesting. The second thing that's really interesting is that um, it's it's based on the idea that you don't know where in the world you are. Um, the first time I went to England. Uh, and you go into mm. town. Every, uh, the the voiceover just uses English, but they do the standard like "Hello, welcome to my shop." But then <laughs> all the text boxes underneath is in gibberish, like like exclamation mark exclamation mark X Y Z, like complete right. gibberish. Because I do not have anybody on my crew that can speak English. So they just kind of hold down the shift key and like hit the numpad a little bit, and then. So I need to go and I know I need to go and recruit a crew member that speaks that language. And as you explore the world, you're going to meet up against a bunch of countries and a bunch of people and a bunch of languages that you have no experience with. So you have to ex- you have to hire crew that speak that language. Um, and as you go into each town and you're hiring crew, um, each crew has their own. Each crew member has their own sort of like specialty in terms of its skill, whether it's adding towards your exploration skill, adding towards your combat skill. And then they also have trade skills and also language skills. And language skills are really important. Mm, I can imagine. And that's the second, that's, that's the second thing that I thought was like, okay, that's really interesting. I've never sort of encountered a game where they bake in the importance of language and the importance of communication. a very difficult thing to pull off mechanically without it being frustrating would be my guess as to why. Yeah, but it's just really funny because I, I walked into <laughs> I walked into the trade market and the person's like <laughs> I'm like uh, I can that was I just stop you there that was some quality gibberish that you just like put into the microphone <laughs> if I'm ever but like working on a Banjo Kazooie esque platformer thing in me I am having you on board as my voice actor for all the <laughs> <laughs> and you're walking around town and all the sort of like pop-up all the pop-up text boxes are all in gibberish as well because everybody's speaking English um, 
in England, obviously, and I don't. I've only got I've only got crew members that speak Portuguese, Spanish, and French. Um, and if you look at the guide, there's like some twenty something different languages that you can encounter. It's That's pretty ridiculous. It's it's really quite in depth, and you know they get rounded fairly quickly. Um, it's you know you just have to hire the right crew member, and so yeah. So that part, you know, there's a few things which which um, are super interesting. I think it's done really quite well. The frustrating part, I think, is because it's a free to play game. I see where this is going already. But go. There is all of the, whew, all of the free to play stuff like dialed up to the nth degree. There's thankfully almost everything can be bought for by internal sort of in-game virtual currency so far, uh, based on what I've played. But there is the real world currency. Uh, Every a lot of stuff is on a timer, and then you have to wait in real world time for it to tick over. But you know you can always pay real world currency to speed it up. Um, and then in I think when you play the game, it doesn't feel like it's very particularly complex. But they add so many things to it; it makes it obtuse. So oh, that old chestnut. The... Yeah. So like all the number of different materials and and like oh, in order to build a ship, I need like I need cedar wood as is, opposed to pine yeah, wood. Is this going to be like the crafting to... in um, Horizon, yeah. which is the one thing that really drove me crazy about that game because it, like just way too many subcategories that just didn't help it out. Yeah. It it didn't help it because there's so many different. Yeah, the crafting uh, is just confusing. Not confusing, but it's just they add so many layers. I think in order to make it more complex than it actually is. Um, there's a bunch of other things that I haven't really got into. There's the ship to ship combat. There's duels. Um. You, know, you you can challenge somebody to duels. You can explore the water. You can do. You can discover things. Apparently, you can go all the way down to Egypt, and um, if you're the first person there, you can discover the pyramids, and you add it to your encyclopedia of things, and that adds XP. So there's there's a lot of different things. There's a few different ways to sort of progress in the game. Combat is one of them. Trading is one of them. Exploration and discovery is one of them. Um, so that part is quite fun. It's just we then slow down and you start to have to deal with the mechanics of it. Um all the all the currencies, all the different crafting materials. Um So what I'm hearing is it's a pretty decent, interesting game that just gets in its own way by trying to, you know, monotonize itself, which is a pretty classic free to play problem. Yeah, I, I think that would be a that would be a fair enough fair, a fair comment. Um, I built a couple of b- big new ships already, so that's kind of fun. Um, I went up from I went up from just a basic opening ship to a slightly bigger ship, and it looks kind of cool. And then you can add like weapons and a battering ram, and and different ways to personalize it. And you know, it's. It's, it's quite a few things going on. 
Uh, and so it's, it's, it, it's I mean, worth a try because it's free. But there's so much I stuff don't, that's free now that actually makes it really hard to... I, I yeah. think it's... Especially I think it's if you're wor- talking it, to a Games Pass subscriber or somebody. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, uh, fair enough. I think there's enough interesting things happening in there to make it worth trying. I don't think it's worth putting money into. Um, and mileage might vary based on how, you know, how patient you are with the game. It, because I think, it, I, I think you, people will hit that point of like, I, I either am all in or, um, I don't want to deal with this bullshit anymore. I can see the kind of dilemma that they're at, although, what is it? This is like Koei Temp. Koei Temo? Koei yeah. Yeah, and this seems like the exact wrong company to solve this problem in a Western country. But it is a case of, like, this would probably be a pretty good game for 30 bucks if they, like, took all of those things out. But you're not going to be able to get the attention of a Western audience for this game unless it is free. Like, nobody's going to take a, take a dive on this one. It'd be very hard, I think, to even get the press interested, especially with that artwork. Like, that just looks like it's a box of, like, a budget big box PC game from, like, 1993. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It's... The artwork is quite uh, is quite a uh, quite a sight to see. It's it's got a f- its own flavor to it, which I appreciate, and that's actually kind of the thing that drew me to it in the first place because it it did sort of like oh, that is very nineties um, Super Nintendo <laughs> box art. It really um, is. It's got like that just kind of like third party that barely got barely got like the approval through on there like Super Nintendo box art going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks a little right. <laughs> I, I imagine people listening to this are having trouble imagining exactly what we mean, but if they see it they will very quickly be able to like just go, okay, right, yep, got it. Yeah. But like you can't describe it. That's why I found it really hard to describe it, but when you look at it you're like, oh no no no, I, I get it. I know what you mean. Um, Anybody thirty but, or above, I think, would be able to go. Yep. But just like I said, like just as an, an indication, like these are the languages that that here's here's a, a handful of languages that's supposedly in the game. I mean, it's the moment you hire somebody on your crew and you have that language skill, um, everything just appears in English. But you know, Portuguese, Farsi, Sanskrit, Sanskrit. Bantu, all right. You know, wow. Bantu, Tagalog, you know, they're like, oh, you know, they've actually put Swahili, um, they've actually put some thought into, like, what would be this common sort of trade languages that would have been spoken in this sort of, like, pseudo 14, 15 age of sale trade, explore the world type of game. At least the language just becomes what it is, though, as opposed to, like, simulating the real experience of having to work with a translator on like very specific things where things can get confused and like panic yeah, starts yeah, happening yeah. very easily. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you know there's some thought that's gone through gone through into this game. I'm probably gonna spend a few more hours into it. Steam tells me I've spent about seven hours in the game so far. Um I can tell you about probably three half of that time is actually doing anything useful, like taking any particular action, and the other half of the time is just waiting. I'm actually a little um, bit bummed out for you, man. Like, I feel like 
you're, you're, you're like stuck at home COVID time. You could have played something else. I think it's probably... Look, if it was not for COVID, I probably wouldn't try this. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have given it as much time as it is. Oh, the other thing is it's apparently multiplayer. Um, no, I am not I playing have it with you. I'm... <laughs> No, 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 no. I know, but but it's supposed to be it's supposed to be part of this like dynamic world in which everybody's sort of participating in. Um, well, and if so, it's just stranding you're... like, then you've got my interest again, though. Uh, not quite stranding like, but you know, you you can build up your country in terms of its like tech skill and trade skills, and that opens up different options for your country. Um, and as you're sailing the seas, you're seeing a bunch of other other boats and ships sort of sailing past, and they all look like um, other. I assume they are other players just sort of sailing the world as well. So it doesn't feel like, especially when you're coming into port, it feels like okay, you know, I've spent the last you know in-game time of the last four days out out in the sea, and I've never I haven't seen anything yet. And as I'm pulling into port, you know, there's a huge sort of like gathering of ships of other people like as you would as you pull up the port it's like oh look at that i'm i'm pulling up into you know i'm docking in civilization it's quite a nice little feel to it so it's it's an interesting <laughs> game all right well while we're, while we're talking about exploring i guess we're gonna like bounce there because i've um i've been playing eastwood which was something that's been sitting on my like switch slash pc wish list for probably the last couple of years which would just about line up since i think it came out in 2021 um, for the very simple reason that it's an RPG, but not really an RPG, so it's actually finishable, and that just had really super duper gorgeous pixel art. Yeah, I rem- I think that we reviewed this we, on the website. We did, I would say the website, I think that actually whoever reviewed it for us was like super gushing. I'm more like positive, but not quite over the top positive. I think I'm more B plus than A. Um, in part because this game has crashed at least four times on me. Oof. Like, it, it auto-saves fairly regularly, but man, you want, like, if you've killed a boss, it needs to auto-save immediately after that and not let the conversation go otherwise, because, you know, the game might crash back to the Switch OS and make you do that whole thing again. No. Um. That would, that would be put the controller down, walk away, and probably never come back for me. Thankfully, it, like, wasn't that difficult to fight, but I was just sitting there going, like, yeah, that's that's not good. Um, I th- I mean, I think, I do believe it is actually, like, a very small team, like, like legitimately, like, a three or four people kind of a joint. Um, and it's worth... Yeah, it's that's wor- fair enough. And it's worth pointing, the things that this game does well, it does, like, really, really well um, to it. Like, some just some really, really great very characteristic pixel art like the game just feels like a place like you get a real sense of like um it's also like a very nicely done in a very late 90s kind of way like you imagine those like post final fantasy 7 square enix rpgs where they would always like have these almost music video like kind of like big blockbuster opening videos that looked cool but were like more like movie trailers and something meaningful it kind of does that with 2d animation it looks really nice and it kind of and i'm still sticking by this i get the impression that these guys really want to make a short animated series. Hmm. But that's not something that three or four people can do. Yeah, but, you know, a 20-ish, 20-ish hour pixel art video game is going to be a lot of work, but it's actually achievable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, I remember hearing a lot of gushing about it as well um, through some other folk. So, yeah, it's... A- yeah. 
Um, I was primarily uh, interested in this one because they are a uh, they're a developer based in China. Um, so the the Asian flavor is 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 very strong in the in this particular game, and I haven't played it yet, but I did take quite an extensive sort of look at the videos, you know, gameplay videos before, and I and I know that I think it was. I think it might have been Sean who reviewed it for us on the website. But um, I remember looking at screenshots and that sort of thing. I'm like, oh, you know, so many signboards. Up. It looks it looks great, but I'm also like reading all the signboards and all the signboards and the shops and things are written like in Mandarin. Well, it, the place I'm in at the moment, which I think I must be close to getting part, is a kind of a Chinatown. And I say that because I've definitely seen Korean text and I've definitely read some stuff that has to actually be Japanese there because it makes sense in Japanese. It reads in Japanese. And while the kanji oh, yeah, yeah. is interchangeable, a lot of the time, the words, the combinations are often actually very, very different. So, like, the subway is straight up just Chikatetsu and I doubt that's probably exactly the same in Chinese. Um, so they've, like, just gone for, like, this weird hodgepodge. So I believe the basic idea is, like, in this near-future oh, world. And... Oh, no, it's... All right, Ken's going to give me a lesson on original kanji. Yeah. So, oh no, no, no! It just—it's just the same character. I mean, I saw—I've seen one screenshot which had like the word for um, railway, you know, subway, and it's just maybe it's the same characters. I, uh, it, I assume it could actually just... be like swap back and forth in that case. Um... Yeah, it mm. looks like the same characters. It's just maybe print, yeah, print, different, print, you different know, different language pronunciation. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, the, the developers themselves are based out of Shanghai. Um, and I remember, I remember that distinctly in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, okay, this is a very different. You know, it's it's really quite interesting. I guess seeing uh, uh the current that there is a there is a there is a wave of of indies and and developers coming out of China now. Where we're looking at these games, and they're like, "Okay, no, um, a lot of the aesthetics we can are familiar with." Um, if you look at games coming out of China in the the mid nineties to the early two thousands, they the they're very jank, <laughs> very very jank. <laughs> <laughs> I think there, there there is a level of sort of polish that. That I can sort of like, okay, no, no, I can, ex- you know, this is this is not un- this is not surprising anymore that there is a game of of a particular polish coming out of developers, ind- independent developers out of China, um, and and other parts of Asia. Um, uh, I think another game that sort of is that's in this vein that uh, that I've been sort of keeping an eye on is uh, a Space for the Unbound. Um, which has sort of similar aesthetics, but that's a developer out of Indonesia. So uh, you know, so good. Uh, yeah. Eastwood. I'm. I'm also. I'm looking forward to it. Playing it one day. You could have. Yeah. Maybe the PC, maybe the PC version is actually more stable. I mean, the weird thing is, it's not like it's buggy really in any other way. So I'm just guessing that these three people, four people, maybe like just they don't know what's causing it. Best guess is I don't know memory leak or something. Maybe if I didn't leave yeah. the game suspended and just turned it off every time I was done. Um, mm. but going back to that, like I think they want would really want to make a series out of this. Is like it's even broken down into chapters. So you look at the screenshots and you're imagining like a Final Fantasy Chrono Trigger type RPG. But it, it really is, like, actually very linear 
Um, the dungeons, dungeony bits are more like simplified Zelda. Um, and then it's just got a whole bunch of like little mechanics, kind of like pulled from like here, here, everywhere. Because there are two main characters. There's the main you character, and your name is John. So they've gone for just the most straightforward American. Somebody played Halo and said, "Yep." And then you've got this like <laughs> mysterious young girl who is a caretaker of called Sam, and then obviously she's going to turn into be some mysterious probably ethereal creature because that's always what happens in these things and there's already been hints of that um oh yeah and you start off yeah. in basically like an underground colony scared of the like the world above which you are obviously inevitably going to like go up and like explore and there's going to be some and it's going to be like nice up there but there's like a bunch of bad stuff going on and also this game has dreamcasts in it so that's kind of cool <laughs> Like there's the game. There's a game called Earthbound, which I I haven't actually really interacted with much because I'm not big into getting to a game with a game I didn't even play Gwent in The Witcher Three, even after everybody kept on saying that it was like actually very good. Um, but like they're just occasionally like there are stores with like dream what are clearly dream pixel art dreamcasts like outside that you can play this Dragon Quest kind of knockoff thing on that the world is obsessed with. But no, like I like it. Like, there's been some criticism of I think of it being overwritten, which. Yes and no, I don't actually think the dialogue goes on too long. It's not as snappy as you'd expect from the look, because you look at this and you think, Super Nintendo homage. Okay, they're going to just say what they mean and get on with it. Whereas the dialogue here, it's not actually poorly written at all. It's almost like if... I think people want this and Forspoken to like switch places, because this it reads like how people actually talk, but it means it does go on a bit longer. I'm fine with that, although sometimes, like, unimportant-seeming quest things can just get dragged on way too long. Like, not long ago, finished one where you kind of get into this weird situation with this kind of sleazy mafia guy who owns a casino kind of thing, and you're in this challenge where you basically have to impress him as a gourmet. And he's like, "If you, I'll give you three chances to make me a mind-blowing meal. And this just goes on for, like, fracking forever, because you just know, like, you go through this whole dungeon questing to get this magical ingredient for the first one, which, of course, you somehow get kind of screwed over on. And then there's another quest for the second one, and I'm sitting there going, okay, this is a cute novelty thing, and it's taking up. Yeah, this bit needs to be compressed, and that's also when I'm coming back to on the idea that I think they wanted to make a show. This would be a cute little side episode. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it. But getting in, like, this is, like, this should be an optional side quest is what it feels like when... Because that that has just been dragging on, like, way too long. But in general, like, the pixel art's really good. Again, the writing is most... The pacing is a bit off, but, like, the writing is actually... Actually feels mostly natural, and it's, like, fairly intriguing, although there's been, like, no really jaw-dropping moment yet. Um, Music's really good. The combat's as good as it needs to be gets a little bit fiddly with, like... Because you can cha- switch between, like, the two characters eventually, and then you have, like, different... A whole bunch of different items. The cooking is a straight-up rip-off of Breath of the Wild, and I'm here for it, because anything with, like, just weird food ingredients bouncing around and, like, a little boppy melody that goes on for, like, ten seconds. Yep, sure, on board. But, no, yeah, my, my general takeaway is, um... Yeah, this is good. Don't... I would not expect it to absolutely mind blow you, but if you, if it looks like your thing and you're and you're like willing to expect it's more like a top-down story-heavy action adventure than an RPG, and you want to see some good pixel art for twenty hours, then by all means, like 
like jump in, um, just be aware that the Switch version seems to crash quite a bit. Feels like like once every four hours I can expect it. <laughs> no, less less than that. Once every two hours, maybe. Expect it to just be like, something went wrong. But it does also auto save like fairly regularly. And also it has Dreamcasts in it. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> uh bit of a shame about that, the crashiness on the Switch, because it feels like that's that would be the right place to absolutely play it rather oh, than it's at, in front of the desk. It it looks good. It honestly it looks really like the lighting in this is actually like super good. Like this is the I mean, whatever the future of the world is ray tracing or whatever, but it's like for 2D art, like just transparent gradients have changed have like added so much that couldn't have been done in the 90s like the lighting in this sometimes just looks like really great I think it look really friggin moody like when it wants to like it, it really does look super good and it doesn't matter if it's on like 50 60 whatever inch tv or in handheld mode where it's like nice and almost kind of crisp like it 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 does look really really nice but yeah my, my general advice there is like to just wait for a sale really and then if it looks interesting for you and you're willing to like refight a boss occasionally <laughs> maybe then the switch but switch is definitely the place to get or i guess steam deck because everybody's displaying everything in the steam deck now if they can and i cannot see this not running um speaking of which i'm rob i didn't really look up what you were playing very much but i'm just going to assume it has to be a jeff minter joint yeah oh it's a jeff minter reinterpretation um how many jeff so minters out of 10 like if we were just giving it like a jeff minter score <laughs> it would be nine. It would be it's nine. It's a pretty freaking Jeff Minter joint then, all right. Yeah. So um, so I've been playing Aka-R. Um, I did a write-up on a site uh, a few weeks ago with it. This is basically a Minter reinterpretation of an unreleased Atari arcade game from the early 80s um, and a pretty drastic reinterpretation. So the basic idea is you control a tower in the center of a, in the center of a play field. The play field, like you're looking down on it vertically. The play field looks like a, a geometric shape and it can have multiple layers and so the idea is you play through 50 levels and you just need to wipe out only enemies to move on to the next and save your pods enemies come in and that they could sort of be ground level or or air level the way i like to think of it um and it's about score training so you have two weapons a bomb which gives you unlimited shots but when you fire it it resets your combo chain and so the idea is you huh. use it to start a chain and when you start a chain, there's like some nice geometric patterns of sort of like shockwaves, like think missile command. Um, and it catches enemies in that. And the idea is you sort of tactically drop a bomb to do that. As you take enemies out, you get bullets, which are needed for some of the, the overhead targets. And you take them out and you're sort of trying to keep your chain running. So but then it sounds like the sort of, of game where you're going to die because you're getting greedy, just trying to get that thing a little bit longer. Yeah. Because what happens is you'll have enemies that will crowd in on your tower and they'll go to like this second level. And when that happens, you sort of get some alarms and you have to switch down levels and they're trying to steal your pods, which are like your lives. And you start with like 16 of them. And if you're not careful, they'll steal them. And if you run out of pods, you die. If you do really well on a stage and you accumulate enough bullets by destroying enemies, you can like, it's like a hundred bullets. You'll get an extra pod back. And every eight to ten levels it'll reset like it's a new octave and you'll get all your pods back so when i did the write-up um i was given switch code and it's pretty solid on the switch it like i played it for a bunch of hours it was rock solid um but i then double dipped and bought it on pc afterwards and the game is 
it was a completely different experience playing on PC because you've got mouse. Because the way you control it is you're basically moving a little a little targeting crosshair with the thumbstick, and it doesn't quite move fast enough. But on the PC with a mouse, you could just fling it to the other side of the playfield in a, in a flash. Oh yeah, and it's ridiculously changes the game for me. Um, so I I, I rated it like A or A minus. I would have bumped that would it would have been like A straight A because it just it, it's a completely different experience and it feels far more frenetic. Like I found myself hitting a difficulty wall much earlier and much more frequently when playing on the Switch with with both Joy Cons and a Pro controller. Um, but on the PC with the mouse, it was just a radically different experience because um, you could just have how easy it was to target things. Um, and so as the levels go on, you get more and more enemies. Um, you'll get enemies that will, you'll shoot them and they'll drop like a bullet that will arc away from you and then suddenly zoom into you. Because if you get hit, you'll lose a pod and you'll also lose your combo. And so a lot of the challenge really is just understanding how the enemies spawn and move about and just setting up these chains. It's it's very refreshing. And like unlike a lot of like other Llamasoft games, there isn't this pulse-pounding techno soundtrack. It's very kind of am- am- uh, ambient and generative. And so when you get a chain going off, it just feels it feels kind of oddly calming. It's, huh. a, it's a very different game. And it's, it's, I mean, I managed to just have a session where I just got into the zone on PC and I got to like, when my run was over, it was like an hour and a half later. Oh, like constant damn, dude. That's, wow. Okay. That's kind of dangerous. This yeah. is the sort of game where you think like, all right, I got 30 minutes to kill. This is a safe thing yeah. to put on. That's literally, I went into the mindset that that session for thinking that, oh, I'll play for like, I have a run of like 20, 30 minutes and I'll go do something else. No, it ended up being an hour long, so I got to, like, level 47 out of 50. Um, and one of the things that's also great, which is a l- what a lot of the recent Llamasoft games do, and I wish more devs did, was it has this thing called Restart Best. So if you go through and play up to, like, you do a run to level 20, you die. When you load it up for your next play, you can browse through all the levels you've beaten, and you can maybe jump back a few earlier, replay it, and if you get a better score or have more pods it'll save that into your save game. So when you go back later, you've actually you've actually progressed and you've, you're in a better place. So you sort of like learn those levels, go back and replay them. And then there are harder game modes you unlock once you beat the, the game. Like there's a mode where you have to do it from one to 15 a run. You don't get the restart best option um, and things like that. And they're all separate leaderboards for this. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting score chaser that, is a little obtuse to start with. It, it has a tutorial for the first few levels, and it's a little awkward um, to get around with, so you've got to play it a few times to understand it. Um, but what do you do if you like getting into the zone and you like score chasing? It's it's an amazing experience. Like, it works on consoles with a gamepad, but if you can, play it on PC with a mouse, like, or a nice heavy-duty trackball. I feel like my, find my main argument for a console here is if you're playing on Xbox or PlayStation, you're probably going to get some HDR, and those colors are probably going to get pretty wild if you've got the bit yeah, for Yeah, actually, that would be interesting. Yeah. I know one of the options in there was to turn off the a lot of the flashing, which I really found I had to do because it, it's color cycling on the text, and it's like I could deal with all the other nonsense and cra- crazy chaos you get in a, in a Llamasoft game, but having it on the text was a little too much. Um, but yeah, it, it's strongly recommended. I had this 
So on the site, you know, we had a feature at the start of the year that a bunch of us wrote sort of 10 games we were looking forward to. And I had this at number one, and I was pleasantly more than satisfied with what I, with what yeah, I got I want out of it. Yeah, to see how so. my list goes down. <laughs> I mean, I put down games I'm interested in more than games that I know are safe bets as a general... Yeah, I mean, that that was the thing. Like, um, like I knew this was going to be a safe bet. I didn't know whether it was going to click. Like, I had Colossal Cave on my list, and I have interesting feelings on that, but I need to spend more time with it. I had for um, Spoken and Atomic Heart in mind, so... Ooh, oh no, oof, oof. Oof, just remembering Jess's write-up about that. Oof. Yeah, between the two that I got to review, it seems like at least Forspoken was maybe actually the least painful of the two, but... Both sunny and bar for, like, video games not having very good writing in general. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that that's, that's me in a nutshell with Aka R. It's like, it's a weird name, it's a weird game, it's incredibly frenetic, and if it clicks with you it's going to click pretty hard. That's pretty much the consensus I got from a bunch of mates who were playing it as well. And also take that seizure warning seriously. That's probably going to be yeah. at the start of the game is what I'm going to guess. Yeah. Um, I, would, yeah. I would say I would second that too. With that, maybe I'll try and find some soothing music, but I'm going to say maybe because I don't want to lock myself into anything because who knows what mood I'm going to be in when I'm actually editing this thing. So I'm hopefully <laughs> going to have more time than I did last week and make sure this episode lines up properly so it's not dead air at the start. Um, yeah, we're going to take a short break and when we come back... Have roguelikes gotten interesting? There's me, there's Ken, who I have no idea if he even likes the genre we're about to talk about, or even has any thoughts of it at all. And then, like, Rob, who I basically rationed out that, like, the game Rogue came out in 1980, and then the entire thing we're talking- half of what we're talking about, not exclusively, it's worth saying that the reason I said Rogue, like, slash time loop games is because they seem to have splintered into separate things. But you know what, it's old, so he must like it. <laughs> um, uh, so the short, I have, I have the short question there, yeah, Robbie, is like, <laughs> has, has this genre gotten more interesting? I, I think it definitely has because, like, if you look at what Rogue started out as, it was this very simple formula of overhead room, you explore dungeons, collect stuff, defeat stuff, try to go down as far as you can, get the, the trinket and get out. And, you know, NetHack, Moriana, a whole bunch that were, like, the same thing with different little topical changes but that was still the same basic formula and they sort of mutated and kept their own little world for a long time you know running in text mode and and whatever else and i haven't played a lot of i've played i've tried net hack at various points but i haven't stuck with it um 
and I think that carries on to a lot of the modern modern things because I think we were talking earlier and you were talking about about ten years ago, which reminds yep. me of of Rogue Legacy, which oh here we go. Those... I'm gonna sorry about this, but you go first. <laughs> yeah, because this is the thing where I think of Rogue Lights and 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 that and the grind to hit the wall because I I I played that for a bit. I, I was playing the Vita version. And I just hit this wall where I couldn't progress further and I couldn't grind enough to upgrade. And so you just get to this like infinite feedback of, of, of like a brick wall that you can't progress. I think, I think we have the same dilemma where like, cause the game was like a lot of people seem to like super love it. And like, this seems to be one of the key points for this genre sort of like all of a sudden a whole shit ton of indie developers are like, Oh, we can totally do these. And it's an easy way to make a lot like a advertiser 100 hours of content. Um, but it was always like, I can't get, like, it's cute that you're doing all these different abilities with, like, your successor. Yep. Um, and sometimes they're helpful and sometimes they're not, but it didn't add into anything. It, like, it felt like it was just as hard and, like, it was, like, luck of the build of the dungeon was affecting yeah. more than anything. That was, and that was exactly a lot of the problems I had as well. Like, I felt like it didn't. The the perks didn't help, didn't compensate or boost my skill enough, and the and the the gag things were just got in the way. Um, but like I feel that experience with a lot of other games. Like the most recent one I tried was Returnal, and I was hyped to play that when I got my PS5 because it's like it's Housemark. I love their breed of action, and on an action mechanical level, they nailed it because they always do. I love the way they do it. But the core loop of dying and coming back reminded me of all that pain because like i never got out of the first area because i just couldn't survive long enough and i couldn't oh here's where we're going to splinter off a little bit um Ooh. yeah so one the big issue that it, the, the spiteful issue the real one they could have had with rogue legacy could not happen on return because playing that on ps5 whereas rogue legacy a bird literally shat on my vita screen while i was playing that game waiting on a train oh. station <laughs> Oh god! And like I was yeah. like going to the countryside, so even in Japan, it was still like a once an hour train, and I had to miss my train because like I need to clean this thing properly. <laughs> oh goodness! I've, I yeah, it's maybe somewhere in the Google Cloud. I still have a photo that I took of that to explain to a friend why. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be late. Go ahead without me. I'll catch you up. <laughs> oh, just plain and then yeah. like splatty white, <laughs> just like right there in the bottom left corner, if I remember correctly. Oh dear! Um, oh dear! <laughs> I mean, better that than my head, I guess. True, true. But yeah, no. Returnal was a weird one. I was playing that when I was um, home alone for a couple of weeks, and there were certain there's certain things that, like that game has a mood that was exactly what I wanted. Like it was scratching a certain Metroid Prime itch before Nintendo finally went and actually did something Metroid Prime-y. Yeah, I could I could feel that. I think like for me, it was the frustration of you having to work through the loop and it didn't have the meta, like any form of meta to help. Like you, you do a run and you'd find some, some equipment and stuff. It's like, cool. Maybe there's a better chance of just doing it. I don't know. I, I, I loved like the gunplay and the moving about all that stuff was top notch. It looked amazing. It was a very nice vibe, but I hated that it was structured in the, the roguelite time loop deal more than anything. I wonder if you, like, got really close to, like, cracking through a knockout. Because what, like, happened to me, and this was, like, super weird. At least, it, like, because you do gradually get some, like, level-ups that kind of, like, stay with you or you're able to. And it definitely has, like, some Metroid-like design where, oh, there's a grappling hook spot there that if I get far enough one time, I'm going to be able to, like, skip over this. 
oh. again next time. But the th- and this this is just not something. And it was when you were talking about like your accidental one one and a half hour ACR session. Basically, and like the suspense state in this game became absolutely essential to me because I was like, I'm going to play this a bit before bed. Um, and I hadn't been able to kill the boss in the first area yet. I not only mm-hmm. killed the boss in the first area, I completed all four zones in that run. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, um, I, I feel I feel like I want to go back to it and try again. Maybe I need to read some troll through game facts and find something because... There's the resources like, there's you collect kind of stay with you, and they can be used if you know if you're paying attention, I guess, or if you're in the zone enough to like yeah. upgrade yourself the right way, or like buy a respawn point, like because you'll find those chambers where you kind of like DNA copy yourself, and then like if you die, you like kind of come back there and get another crack at it. Yeah, I'm um, definitely like. I need to revisit this by the sounds of things, but they do like really interesting stuff with like the story, like kind of like the way it kind of comes in over time. And mm. slight spoiler here, anybody who's listening, maybe fast forward two minutes, but I found this, like, is this, like, a super fascinating thing? So, of course, the thing that happens in this game is you die and you reset back and you're crashing on this alien planet. So, I finished once all four areas, and you kind of get the ending thing in, like, you grow old and it's very sweet. You know what happens when you grow old? You die. <laughs> and then you wake up... <laughs> Back on the fucking planet. <laughs> as soon as you said that, I was like, it's gonna involve a respawn. <laughs> I was like, alright, I hate this and I love it in equal measures. <laughs> yep. I could, I could, I completely could feel how that happens. <laughs> like, it's, you just don't even understand, like, how did I not see that coming? Of course, like, that actually makes perfect sense. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, because I think about some of the other stuff, like, you know, I think of Loop Hero, which I have not actually sat down to play, but that is one of those things where I, what I've heard about that game in terms of how it's, how its conceit is, like, it feels really interesting that they've taken a lot of those ideas and just gone in a completely different direction. And that's one of those things I think we see today is we're seeing a lot more devs breaking free of the platformer mold and going in different directions with that sort of loop mechanic. And that's that's definitely interesting. So even if these games don't land for me or or, or everyone, I like that they're, they're, there's a lot more experimentation. And that's where I'm really interested to see what what other devs are doing with, with these kind of games. And the thing that makes this relevant right now is like you just had the Castlevania DLC drop. And apparently by all accounts, it's like really, really good. Um, for Dead yeah, Cells. I saw, a, I saw a friend stream it a bit, and it looked pretty neat. Um, um, and Dead Cells was actually the first one of these games that ever actually clicked for me. Like, I would yeah. frequently be saying, like, Rogue, like, oh, no thanks, Rogue, like, oh, no thanks. And then, like, this buzz started to, like, build around Dead Cells, and it looked really good, and I liked the description. And I get... I don't know, apparently, according to Huso and Ken last last episode, apparently all I play in Metroidvanias, which is not something I occurred to me, but but I think there is a certain something about the way those games are exploratory that appeals to the way I approach games, even if they're not in that genre. It makes sense. And so, yeah, the idea of, like I was saying with Return, like you might find that there's a grappling hook that you can get and keep later on. So the idea of like making your progress more convenient as you get better, or as you discover more, is like a way to like 
make doing these multiple runs make more sense. Um, But also, like, Like, Dead Cells likes you keep... You're leveling up with your items to... I forget, it's been a couple of years. More than a couple of years since I last played it. But you definitely felt more able. Like, with each run, you were getting, like, something that was staying with you, so you were always, like, a little bit stronger, a little bit better prepared. Well, I think it's taken quite a number of years to refine, I guess, the rogue formula. Because... I played a little bit of, I think, NetHack, or maybe whichever. I, I mean, they all use ASCII, ASCII graphics back then, so I can't remember which is which. I played a, a, a one of those, decent, one of those ones. And I think the success of Rogue and NetHack and games at, at that point, it was it, it's because it was a very simple concept it was a very basic easy to grasp concept which is you're pushing you're pushing your luck you're going Mm. you're doing things but you're pushing your luck and at some point you either go too far or you chicken out Mm. and you you bug out right and the greediness (laughs) yeah like like at what point does survival versus greediness sort of balance against each other and so in my mind, that's what sets those games aside because its fundamental core is a very easy to understand concept. It might not be easy to play, but it's a concept that is easy to understand. Um, easy to sort of like digest and truly understand, okay, this is what I'm doing. The fundamental core is I'm putting my luck and at some stage either, yeah, either I give up or I'm going to die. Yeah. And, and, right, and, and when when that first wave of I guess rogue games came up, they were trying to just like, oh, you just keep dying, you die and try again, you die and you try again. It, but it didn't have that that element that that sort of that that particular really crystallized core concept that I think in Rogue and NetHack had. So I was not a fan. Of Rogue Legacy, I played quite a good amount of Rogue Legacy. Dead Cells was also was one that I really clicked with because it 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 sort of took another sort of angle on the roguelike, which is accepting that you're going to fail. Here's a few. Here are the tools in which we can help you get better. I think that's actually like, the core where that genre, genre turned for me was when they found a way to like balance reward and punishment for how far you pushed it. Yeah. So, like, because Rogue was... Yeah, yeah, that's right. So the, the, that sort of early genre of roguelike slash roguelite, that, that distinction always annoyed me, whether it was a like or a light. Um, but those sort of old early ones didn't quite have a as rock-solid a core. Um, and there was a period of time in which I played quite a bunch of, of rogue, rogue-ish games. Um Dead Cells. Uh, <clears throat> I spent quite a bit of time with um, almost like a more of a time loop game called Star Renegades. That was quite good on, on Game Pass. I remember you talking about that, actually. And um, one of my favorites is actually this another time loop game with called Curious Expedition. Um, in which huh. the, Curious. the premise... Curious Expedition. The premise is that you are a, like of the 19th century 20th century explorer and you're going into like the 
the dark heart, heart dark heart of Africa. Oh, I like exploring. the look of this. There's something appealing about the retro style, like it's legitimately retro. Yeah, there's Curious Expedition One and Two. I um I haven't played number two yet. Um, and it's more like an exploration game in that uh, it, it is a time loop game. You pick up, you pick a, you pick an explorer, um, and then you gear up. You buy like bedrolls and food, and you hire a f- couple of crew members. And then you go on, you go on an expedition and you go from one sort of point in the map to another point in the map. And it's almost kind of like you pick your, um, pick your adventure. What's, what's it called? What, those Choose books? your own adventure. Choose your own adventure type games. You go to a new little place. You go to another thing. You have to resolve a challenge and then, you know, you might catch malaria and then die and you have to play the game again. And now you're exploring Antarctica and you're Scott on the, the famous, you know, ill-fated um, expedition to the South Pole, that sort of thing. It's that sort of uh, turn-of-the-century um, uh, expedition, early, late 1800s, early 1900s, explore-the-world type of thing. It's really quite, uh, it's really quite good. Um, I think the roguelike that clicked most with me was Hades, Mm. This is gonna be interesting because I like Hades. I played quite a bit of Over Christmas, but I never quite loved it. Mm. I'm kind of glad you saw that on this episode because you'd probably reach through my monitor and strangle me. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really, really like Hades because there's a couple of things that work for me. Um, There is sort of um, a perpetual, you know, uh, upgrading system in which you can upgrade your skills and abilities and, you know, they they give you a permanent effect. There is that. Um, What I like about it is the combination. So, because, so the the other thing about Rogue, Rogue, um, Rogue games, games are like every experience and every run you do is going to be slightly different because you're going to pick up different weapons and different combinations of items and boosts and that sort of thing and Hades I felt had a really interesting approach to the combinations of powers that you can use um, and you have some slight choice when you're playing through the game because usually uh, not off there are two sometimes different exits, so pretty much in there are two room, different but... exits and then you can yeah you can choose which power up you want and then you're like mm, do I want the Athena power or do I want the Zeus power and Zeus gives me like more destructive power, but Athena gives me, you know, something else. Um, and Poseidon has just like ridiculous things, like pushback and you know different effects. Um, but I think one reason why I really liked Hades was the narrative, mm-hmm. and I, I, that's one of the challenges I think of Rogues because it's it always just assumes you've just rebooted and you've just like. Oh, you're here again at the very start. Um, go again. You start from zero. Uh, even though you might have a perpetual upgrade, you might have a permanent upgrade, it still narratively assumes you're starting from the very beginning. Hades, at least, I think, acknowledges you've been here before. Yeah, It's a Returnal that first... does this fairly well as well, actually. Oh, alright. I haven't played Returnal yet, so maybe you can comment on that part. But with Hades, like, the first time you finish the game, it... And the, I'm not gonna... 
Have you all finished a game at least once or twice? Or I have no. not quite killed him. I've been killed by okay. him a couple of times. So I've the got first... nowhere near, near it, so... Spoil uh, ahead. Uh, Alright, so... You know, the, the the quest in Hades is you're trying to... Escape um, and kill daddy. Kill Zeus and... Oh, oh no, not Zeus. You're trying to kill Hades. Um... You try to kill the the, the, the underworld, the, the lord of the underworld, so that you can meet your mother. Um, and the first time you suc- you succeed, uh, the game acknowledges this is the first time you've met <laughs> you're going to meet your mother. Um, and you know the game quietens down and and lets you have that resolution. The next couple of times, I, I think I've probably beat the game maybe about a handful of times, not that many. Um, I haven't been that successful, but every time you meet your mother again, she acknowledges that, oh, you've come to visit again, and then tells you more about what happened, like your history and your like family's the, history. Like the real cheeky cute thing about this game is I just wrote this hugely long story and then like just chopped it into like a thousand tiny pieces yeah and then I just give you one of those pieces on each run yeah a little bit but it it's done done in a very I, I feel it's done in a very thoughtful way so it doesn't diminish from the fact that no you're meeting somebody who's important to your life and you only have fleeting moments with them and then you know, the struggle you have to go through to come and see them again is acknowledged and mm-hmm. and recognized. So that's one thing that I felt that Hades did very well, which is at least acknowledge the ridiculousness of the premise, which is <laughs> you're playing the same game over and over and over and over again until you reach some natural conclusion or you get, or you get tired of it and you move on, right? <laughs> like, there's no end to a ro- to a to a roguelike. Um, but they rogue can this is this is why I kinda of put the slash slash semicolon whatever in this because like time loop has sort of started to become its own thing and there are two specific titles that I actually have in mind, one of which I was one of my favourite games of last year, one of which is on my to play list still. And we'll start with that one because it's the big one which is Deathloop mm. Mm. and I'm still like there's still like, there's one commentary on it that like kind of fascinated me because I know it'll get it sounds like something that will get me past my own mental block with a lot of these types of games especially the arcane um, type of game is like the idea that you know that or at least you're expected that you're not going to be able to do this in the first try there is an end to the game but you're it's Deathloop you try you die you try again and you like gradually get more information and get better at it and whatever is it by doing that it just opens it unlocks you from or at least unlocks someone like myself from this crippling idea of like i don't want to die i've okay i know i'm comfortable with this gun and i'm comfortable with this power and i'm just going to work around those whereas once they once the attitude changes to fuck it i'm not expected to succeed anyway it opens up the idea of like experimenting be- just becomes a lot easier to accept. It, it sounds like it kind of makes it like the source code of, of games, if anyone's seen that movie. Um, Sadly, I have not. No. Uh, definitely recommended. Um, Duncan Jones's was it 20, 2011? Um, but they're sort of that, that, the, the, that movie is basically a time loop. 
um, definitely definitely worth a watch. Time for that. Looper came out around then as well. <laughs> yeah, I haven't I haven't seen Looper, so <laughs> I watch Looper. You you watch uh, Source Code. Sure. Um, or Groundhog yeah. Day. Like you could make this into a romantic comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Groundhog Day. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, no, nah, because I think the I think the big thing is the meta game. That's what a good roguelite time loop, whatever game is going to build off on. Because you know we get that, you know, with with we see that a bit with Hades with the narrative. We see that with Returnal just on some of the stuff you've been saying, Tim. And it sounds like you know you've got that aspect to Deathloop, which which is on my stack of games to check out list as well. So I've been wanting to play that, and it feels like you have a thing where you're trying to build that solution. And that's what made me think of, of, of source code in that uh, through the actions of the movies, the, the protagonist is eventually sort of works out the ideal solution to solve the, the sort of central mystery conceit at it. Um, and that feels like, it feels like what things work towards with death loop, if I understand it. But again, I have not played it at all and I really need to at some point. Yeah. Um, I it, It's been like super high on the, the list. This is a case of like, time and money as well for that matter but the the one that I actually found the most interesting and this one that when I started playing it um it seems to be known as a loop thing but it's definitely no in no way a roguelike um I actually wasn't aware when I started playing it that I just thought it sounded interesting on its own which is um The Forgotten City oh yes oh um, yes and that this is... game is just a masterclass of using that in the storytelling yes game. I really love what that did um I did our write up for that. Jeez, that was that was like two years ago. It was about two years ago. It is an amazing, an amazing game. It is and so fucking good. Like I, I didn't know what to expect going because it was just like it was there. No one seemed to bite on it, so I was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And I just remember playing it on like a Sunday. I started playing it on a Saturday night, and I picked it up like the following evening. And I just went or, or afternoon. I played it like most of the day straight. Eventually, working my way through it and. A lot of what that does was very interesting because of how it used the formula, and it's all about information. It's all about yeah. information. Like, yeah, as you go through the day, you pick up the information and you use that on the on the subsequent pass. And it's that's such a cool mechanic. That's like an absolutely brilliant use of and it. it. Has and it's legitimate like, multiple endings. But yeah. it also lets you choose them because you are literally making you, depending on how much effort you have, like how lazy you're feeling as well, versus like what information you've gathered and what you can be bothered doing, all plays a part in how this thing is going to end. And it will end. Like it straight up just ends. Like you can, you, you break unravel a mystery. And I love that. Like it's, is the fact that there was an ending that you worked towards breaking the loop. And that's something I wish more of these sort of games had like you actually had something to work towards and not just play until you got bored because that's a thing that it would work better if, if these games had much shorter runs that you just kept playing them but having something to work towards over a longer period of time works really well having an actual discrete goal to get out of that loop and i i really wish more games did that because yeah forgotten city just blew me away so, so much good. just like they're gonna put that on the table right now if you have I raved about it a couple of times last year. Like, my two favorite games of 2022 were both from 2021, and um, The Forgotten City <laughs> was like my runner-up. It was, it's just... Yep. So- yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful example. I think um, if you haven't played it, definitely go play it. 
Um, it, I don't, I don't think it's on Game Pass or anything, but it's also not that expensive, and it does go on sale occasionally. Yeah, it's this console version. It, like, like I saw a physical PS5 copy in Japan like not yeah. that long ago. Yeah, I, I was tempted to just like be nice and maybe have a physical copy of something I reviewed and loved, and then have that on the shelf. It's not going to push your PS5 very hard at all, but it's no. God, it's such a good no. Game. It, yeah, um, they even had a cloud version on the Switch, but I wouldn't trust cloud versions as far as I could throw them. Yeah, um, maybe in Australia you have amazing internet. Yeah, the whole cloud thing on Switch. I mean, it makes sense because the Switch is not powerful enough for any of this stuff, but also like, yeah. it takes away the appeal of the Switches, which you can take it anywhere with you. Yeah, that's exactly that. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, like, I'm really looking forward to seeing more indies experiment with the formula. Like, that's that's the thing I think I'm most excited about. A good meta and, and really cool experimentation. Because, yeah, when we got, I got to the end of that and I was like going... Okay, you can do some things with this, like, resetting shit idea, and it doesn't have to just be run and die and run and die and run and die. Mm. So, yeah, that, yeah that's... I think that's, the, that's where the promise of this, of this stuff is, and I think we're, we're seeing it realized, and we're just hoping that more people pick up on it. Because, yeah, it turns out it could be a great narrative device as well, like, it. I just feel like that game just solved so many problems with this quote-unquote walk-em-up even. Like, it just injected so much more player agency yeah. into a game that was still most... I mean, there was technically a bow and arrow, but, like, it, it, even that was mostly yeah. a puzzle-solving kind of thing than a, yeah. than a combat. Um, It put so much player agency into a game that was still effectively about observing the world, like, actually observing the world and, like, paying attention to stuff, and they had, like, clever little ways to, like, make each run a little bit quicker. Um, So you'd always... You'd you'd befriend one character who you could get to sort out shit that you'd figured out the solution to. Like, this person needs to be told this or else they're going to die or whatever. And you could tell him to relay the message so you could always focus on finding the new information. It was just... That mechanic was just like the chef kiss for me. When when I when I unlocked that bit and realized I could give this guy those orders, it's just like that's one of the things I always found frustrating for a lot of those games. You have to repeat all this stuff you've already solved, hmm. but you now you just tell this guy he takes care of it, and then just go on and, and continue. It's like it it just unlocks so much more and you of that. Still game. get the satisfaction of like just digging deeper into this mystery. Yeah. <sighs> It really, like, again, this, the way it built that concept and ran with it, it was incredible. And it started out as, like, a Skyrim mod or something? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The the, the, the literature about it is, like... Yeah, it was a mod. A, mod. Another, a mod for another game, but, yeah, I believe it was a Skyrim mod, and then they just... Mm. And I think that the standalone one, having its own unique identity, worked, I think, worked so much better in its favour than just being a mod. I don't know, that game deserves a standalone. Also, Australia developed. Yes. Yeah. It's currently on sale on Steam. 45% off. Yeah, you should buy that. It's going like, for absolutely no hesitation. I mean, Abs- no hesitation. That's a damn good price for it. I'm playing on a um, 10-year-old computer with a slightly upgraded graphics card to a 970, and it still run like butter in 1080. Like, yeah, could, it was really well. Game. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> I, I kind of love that our, our, our conclusion here is that this this whole idea has a lot of promise and it's all because of the Golden City. Forgot, yeah. sorry, Golden, yep. I'm mixing up Golden Rule, which you will very learn quickly learn about as a key element of said loop um, if you play. Oh, yes. Yep. 
if you play this thing, yeah, that, that game had some ideas. Oh man, it was so good. I kind of want to like go over it again. Ken, you should you should also buy it. I should have bought that for yeah. you if I'd known you had COVID before today. I would have been like, you know what? I'm going to gift you this game because holy shit. <laughs> it's probably a better use of my time. It probably would have been. Yeah. Nonetheless, thank, <laughs> nonetheless, Ken, thank, I'm actually happy to hear that you're actually sounding quite well. So um, thank you for joining us. Do you, did you also make any content during your time when... I did. Um, oh. I've got a player to well, it's not live yet, but I've just uploaded a new player to plays video to the YouTube channel. Um, it is on Wandering Sword, which was uh, the demo was available recently on as part of the Steam Next Fest, and it's very up my alley. If you like like old school um, RPGs, PC RPG, JRPG style games, plus like. Chinese martial art like stories like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon like it's it's a mix of both it's it's like JRPG plus Crouching Tiger and that's what Wandering Sword is and I'm pretty excited about it and the video should hopefully be out at some point it may even be up by the time this episode goes live again because we always forget we do record these things a little bit in advance little bit but it also depends on when Paul wants to make it live I mean he's got his yeah. we've got you know you know, we're always trying to put a lot of content into the YouTube channel and then at a level and yeah and, and you know he, he, he dishes it out as when needed so he's oh, yeah. got yeah and since the house of cards that is Twitter is not fallen over yet, I believe you still have that Pixel Hunt. I am at Pixel Hunt. I've been at Pixel Hunt for many years now. Just Dylan gave up and let you have it. No, well, no, it's a little bit long, a little bit more complicated than that. But well, actually, not more complicated than that. <laughs> I, I, I told I told Dylan back when when. when when Pixel Hunt was still active, that I would handle the social media stuff, and then he's like, "Yeah, go right ahead." And, and then, then that just became you. And then it just became me because nobody else wanted it. And that's huh. me on Pixel Hunt. Pixel Hunt on Twitter. Very cool. And Rob, thank you so much for coming on and also having nice things to say about um, the Forgotten City, which I almost called the Golden City again. <laughs> yeah, it was it was, it was good. Um, good to do. So I, I admit, when going, you know, I wasn't sure if I'd had much to say about the topic, but oh, I think we did? had a good. Yeah, that was a good chat for sure. I hope, I hope everyone out in the audience land appreciates it. Yes, I do hope you appreciated this. Please, please tell me the next episode. I feel like I'm going into some ASMR bullshit, and I don't actually really have the voice for that. <laughs> um, sorry, Rob. Twitter handles and shit. Do you have anything coming out? Um, I've been sort of working on some side stuff, so my video output's been slow, and I've been I've had a whole bunch of stuff go up on on the site recently. Um, alongside the AKR review, I did a review of Caverns of Mars Recharge, which wasn't quite as good. Both of those had some P2 Plays episodes go out, and I did a bunch of demos from NextFest as well. So I've had a bunch of stuff come out. I haven't got anything in the pipeline at the moment. Um, I'm catching up on some of my personal stuff. Um, if you, you want to come to the bird site, Trash Fire, um, it's just Rob underscore Caporetto. I'm very boring like that. I'm sure the announcements for the podcast will tag me as always. Um, and then there's my personal stuff, which is youtube.com slash at beyond the scan lines. I'm trying to catch up with some stuff there. Um yeah, if you if like you retro stuff, enjoy. definitely give your channel a look. Yeah, a little more involved look at old stuff, um, and some new stuff. Last few episodes have been new things for old for old systems, um, which is always interesting to see. Um, yeah, check it out. Find something a little different. <laughs> yeah, and I am at Pretend Beard on the Twitters, and I am making 
this episode, basically. I don't have any time and I had to turn down a review to something that I really, really wanted. That's the worst. It's, uh, it's, it's just sitting there on a plane. It's like, yeah, I, even if I had more time than what was offered to me, I'm still not sure I could, like, in all good consciousness, accept it. I'm like, oh, man. Yep. Yeah.